Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. There have been claims and allegations made about Keith going way back previous to um, Nexium and certainly continue into Nexium about his relationship with underage girls. Um, that's very disturbing. And, you know, he spent a lot of time in addition to like his sermons or speeches or whatever you want to call them about um, how men are inherently, you know, or women are inherently inferior to men. He also talked a lot about how uh, the age of consent and uh, and having sex with minors is a kind of social construct and, and something that is actually just like imposed on us. And he seemed to really sanction this idea of uh, pedophilia. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting very far away from Alexis Linkletter and very far away from Billy Jensen. So today's episode is going to be pretty straightforward and we're not doing killing time because it doesn't really feel right at the moment. And we did want to let our listeners know that we're going to be actively searching for more cases involving black and people of color that are usually underrepresented or completely forgotten about in the media. And we promise to do our best to help fight the injustice in our country and give a voice to the people and stories that otherwise go untold. But our podcast is crowdsourced and it relies almost completely on our first degree guest and their willingness to share their story. So please, if you or someone you know wants us to amplify their voice and tell their story, please email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. And Billy, what day is it today? It's kind of slim pickings, but I'm going to go with National Ballpoint Pen Day. Wow. That's Not the much best can... day out of all of the days. National Urban Spice Day. Mm. Mm. I do or love National it. Urban Ice Spice day. over a ballpoint pen. I haven't picked up a no, pen in like the, three months. The Dude, is mightier don't, than haven't the you ever had that perfect ballpoint pen that glides on the paper and it just brings yeah. you such simple joy? There's so few around these days because you don't buy them. So you have to poach them no. at offices. And yes, that is true. You still, you have it's to hard to get offices. that. It's hard to find them the these pen days. Finds or hotels. You. <laughs> it's true. The pen finds you. All right. Well, that's, that's a sad day, but that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you.
the story of how Keith Ranieri became an international self-help guru and later a convicted sex cult leader is truly one of those cautionary tales that's not unfamiliar. A man who's a master of manipulation, but otherwise generally not at all exceptional, is able to seduce, exploit, alienate, and control countless individuals after developing keen abilities to select precise prey, bait them, and slowly coerce them into doing exactly what he wants them to do. So, how exactly did Keith Raniere do it? Well, to answer that, we're going to have to go back to the beginning. So today's case takes us back to Clifton Park, an Albany neighborhood in upstate New York. A quaint suburb peppered with shopping centers and two-story colonial homes. And it's quite unassuming when considering that a dangerous cult was born there. And it's here that a man named Keith Ranieri grew up and planted roots that he would return to throughout his life as he transformed into a cult leader. Keith Ranieri was born in Brooklyn on August 26, 1960. His father worked in advertising, and his mother was a ballroom dancing instructor. As an adult, Keith later described his mother as a terrible alcoholic, and she actually died when Keith was only 17. But while he was born in Brooklyn, as a kid, the family moved to Suffern, which is in upstate New York. And according to a CBC article, Keith's father, James Ranieri, said that when his son was seven or eight years old, he took an intelligence test that determined that the boy was gifted. He then noticed a dramatic change in the boy's character when he learned the results. It was almost like a switch went off. And suddenly, overnight, he turned into, like, Jesus Christ. And that he was superior and better than everybody, like a deity. And looking back, many believe this is when and where the seed of Keith's narcissism was planted. Keith attended a Waldorf school. And if you're not familiar with Waldorf education... These types of schools focus on intellectual, artistic, and practical skills with much more abstract teaching practices. Generally speaking, the cultivation of the student's imagination and creativity is the primary focus rather than traditional academics. It's at this point that we're going to introduce to you our first degree for today's episode, Josh Block, who got sucked into this story when he ran into an old childhood friend named Sarah Edmondson. Josh, who was already working at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, decided to document his journey into the world of a cult called Nexium. And he ultimately created, produced, and hosted the podcast Uncover, Escaping Nexium, which took an in-depth look at Keith Raniere's life, including how we learned to use his story and use the story of others to create and control a secretive world. And Josh actually went to Albany, New York, to try to track down information about Keith Ranieri's childhood. It was a difficult part of the investigation to try and uh, dig back into his past and figure out, like, who is this guy and where does he come from? And unfortunately, his parents, uh, you know, weren't available to talk to us. Um, But yeah, we did learn a few interesting things um, about... You know, him as a kid, uh, and this is according to one of his ex-girlfriends and a former member of Nexia, but that that from an early age, he had this kind of messiah complex. He really did believe and told his parents that he was, like, uh, enlightened and, um, and 
uh, was both, you know, had somehow had some like, you know, greater access to his uh, both physical and mental capacities. You know, he claimed to be a uh, champion, a chess player and piano player and all sorts of things. As far as Keith's childhood social life was concerned, his parents recalled that when Keith was as young as 13 years old, he had swaths of girls calling him who were in love with him. And apparently, Keith's mother would pick up the phone and occasionally catch snippets of his conversations. And she noticed that he told every girl he spoke to the very same thing. Quote, I love you. You're special. You're important. And again, he was saying this to each and every girl. So clearly he didn't truly mean it. But when he was as young as 13, he was piecing together and learning that people, mainly women or girls that he was talking to, liked to hear these things. Um, He also, from an early age was a Don Juan. I mean, he was a very, very active and convincing women uh, and even girls in his teenage years that, you know, he had sort of multiple partners and often would spend a lot of time convincing them that that was the kind of relationship that they had to allow him to have. By 1982, Keith graduated from RPI in Troy, New York, after majoring in math, biology, and physics. But his GPA at graduation was a mere 2.26. Again, Nothing extraordinary as far as his scholastic achievement. And Keith had many, many girlfriends in his 20s. And a common theme he echoed to each and every one of them was this. Men are hardwired to be polyamorous, but women are not. And that the only reason his romantic arrangement seems wrong to others is because people are brainwashed by society's flawed values. So he would convince women to be in open relationships with him, even though they didn't want to. And he started having a group of women around him all of the time. And at this point, he wasn't profiting off of them. He was honing his ability to manipulate and control them. After college, Keith worked at Amway. And for those of you that don't know, is a huge MLM or multi-level marketing scheme or company. And they sold vitamins and beauty products. And this is where presumably Keith learned the ropes of MLMs and pyramid schemes in general. And he was taking notes. Because Amway was the company that primed and inspired Keith to build a similarly structured business of his own. He started a multi-level marketing company um, and then eventually before starting Nexium as well. Uh, but there was always this kind of, uh, like going back certainly to his college years, this kind of feeling of like a entourage of people and especially young women around him that were infatuated with him that were kind of like really believed that that if they hitched their wagon to him they would be achieve, they would see huge success um and it wasn't clear you know in the early years whether that success was just going to be financial or whether there was some kind of more spiritual path they were going to take now as many cult leaders do keith cultivated a community of friends that others wanted to be a part of he lived at home in in albany with one of his girlfriends but there always seemed to be a group of kind of hippie women there with him. And they would all stay up late and talk about philosophy and religion and money. Mainly, they would talk about how they could all become rich. And according to the CBC, Keith was fascinated by Scientology and talked about it constantly. He talked about neurolinguistic programming, NLP a personal development discipline popular back then that focuses on using perception and communication techniques to change people's thoughts and behaviors. And it's at this phase that he began to conceptualize what would become Nexium. 
Following Keith's time at Amway, he opened a company called Consumers Byline. And according to the Times Union, quote, Consumers Byline Inc. was a nationwide buying club offering discounts to members who could become affiliates and recruit more members, an OG MLM. So this company employed more than 150 people in offices in Clifton Park, which is in Albany, and directed dozens of sales representatives nationwide. So the company then collapsed amid a slew of civil actions for more than 20 U.S. states. So it's no shock that Keith ultimately closed Consumers Byline once he caught wind that various state and federal authorities started to receive complaints and suspect that Keith was running a pyramid scheme. So Keith closed his doors before an official investigation could be launched. And like all good aspiring cult leaders do, he then reinvented himself. He decided to change his entire persona. He would now be an expert in health, wellness, and a self-help guru. And Keith's next endeavor included opening a health store with a girlfriend that he had at the time, a woman named Tony Natalie. And it's here at the store that Keith met a person that would end up being very significant in his life, as well as in the diabolical cult that would soon come to be, a woman named Nancy Salzman. And what I'm about to say is not a joke. Nancy actually came into their health store looking for a cure to her chronic constipation. Former followers have made jokes about her saying, quote, the woman is literally full of shit. So regardless of her reason for entering the store initially, these two developed the pillars of the Nexium curriculum. One of the fascinating components of Nexium was the public-facing side of it were these expensive self-help workshops so that you would pay, you know, two or three or four or five or ten thousand dollars to take one of their courses. Um, and uh, and thousands of people took them. They had like some, they say that like something like 20,000 people took those courses. And for the vast majority of people, that was their only interaction with Nexium. And there obviously was like, you have to have a strong hook. You have to, you, you can't just like jump right to the, the, the stuff that's crazy and bananas. Like you have to sort of slowly pull people in. Uh, and, and that, so that hook that they had was good. And we talked to a lot of people who said, you know what, those courses were great. Like, they borrowed from all sorts of different modalities and uh, people found that they were helpful in sorting out like either relationship issues or financial issues or just like, you know, personal goals and that kind of thing. Um, so, so they had that piece, piece, which I think was powerful. And it also was one of the reasons that they were able to really attract a certain um, like uh, more wealthy, high functioning um, group of people. Like they weren't targeting marginalized groups. So who is this Nancy Salzman, you ask? And what did Keith see in her? Why did he pick her out of all of these women that he had around him? Why did he pick her to partner up with? Nancy was a nurse and a skilled hypnotherapist. And she was also very well nursed in the neuro-linguistic programming, which is that form of therapy that uses tactics such as body language mirroring and hypnotherapy to help followers overcome personal obstacles. And side note, by the way, this type of therapy is often dismissed as pseudoscience. But it's also the same type of therapy that Keith was fascinated with. So this is exactly the kind of manipulation Keith wanted to master, or at least have a partner who was an expert in the subject to aid in sucking people in, learning their deepest secrets, and then exploiting them. Keith's girlfriend, Tony, eventually broke up with him, and she was then pressured by Keith and this band of women to take him back. And according to a CBC article, quote, when that failed, they stole her mail, they hacked her in her hard drives, 
They basically stole her identity and they filed multiple lawsuits accusing her of stealing money from Keith. Strategies they would use against her and any other perceived enemies of Keith for almost two decades going forward. So this is something they adopted very early on, lawsuits as a, as a weapon, weaponizing the legal system. So, and this is one of the first glimpses into this tactic that he would use from then on. He would threaten people with costly financial action and litigation and tie people up in court indefinitely, causing them to hemorrhage money. Threats of this kind and retaliation kept people in line and kept people from leaving him. And with Nancy, Keith co-founded a company called Executive Success Programs, and this would eventually morph into Nexium. This company would offer self-help courses. And as far as the teachings, the ideology was simple. It started with the buildup of Keith Raniere. He must always be on a pedestal. And Keith described himself as one of the world's top three problem solvers. He claimed that he spoke in complete sentences by age one and by age two he was reading. He also claimed to be the most intelligent person in the world. And people believed him. Why? Well, his charm, his charisma, and the years of studying the subtle art of manipulation. Yeah, remember, this is a guy that got a 2.26 at RPI. Most intelligent person. Most intelligent person in the world. So as far as the promises of Nexium, Keith didn't just promise to unlock clients' greater potential. He claimed that his methods could abate symptoms of Tourette's syndrome and even help kids speak to up to 13 languages. New members were told that Keith was a truly enlightened being. And if you followed his carefully crafted system, you'll be able to reach your true potential and inadvertently change the world for the better in the process. And as we know, this is a common ideology with cults. We saw this in Jonestown. Manson did some of this too. And this idea of making the world a better place sucks in those well-intentioned individuals. And before they even realize what's happened, they're in really deep. You know, I've known about cults, but certainly this was like more of my education around them. And one of the like you know, interesting things is that they are all so similar. Like you start to look at three or four of them and you're like, Oh my God, it's all operating the same way. You have like one charismatic figure in the center and they have like certain kind of coercive tactics, you know, cutting people off from family, using a rarefied language, having a strict hierarchy, you know, um, telling you that you have some kind of like fundamental deficiency that only they can help. There's a, there's a few like key things that happen again and again. Um, that they all sort of operate from the same playbook. Nexium, like Consumers Byline, operated like an MLM. It was mandatory that followers recruited new followers. And the reward for a successful recruit? You would get a cut of the fees the new members would pay for courses. Then these new followers would have to pay for courses to keep cash flowing into the business, and they would need to recruit as well. And the money just kept going up and up the pyramid. And then using just a very coercive tactic that stopped people being allowed to question anything that was happening in the system and to question themselves. So, you know, we just heard the account again and again that the longer people stayed with the Nexium, the worse they felt. And then the more money they were spending on Nexium courses to try and uh, make themselves feel better. Um, but and, and, and having, you know, the higher ranked people in the organizations and superiors really using these kind of psychological uh, tactics to uh, make people feel crappy about themselves and to sort of make them dependent on, on, on the group. 
Nancy Keith's methods worked. Nexium took off. Those who bought into Nexium were taught that essentially you are responsible for everything that happens in your life, all of your successes, all of your failures, every thought and emotion, every intention. The problem is that your belief system is full of faulty quote unquote programming that has accumulated since childhood and holds you back with fear and other unnecessary emotions. The CBC wrote in an article, quote, if anything you're asked to do as part of the training seems odd or ill-advised, like paying thousands of dollars for more training or allowing your quote unquote coach to discipline you for failing to meet your goals. Well, that's probably just your faulty programming talking and is precisely why you need to stick with the lessons. So new recruits paid more than $7,500 for grueling 12-hour quote-unquote intensives featuring Nexium's patented executive success program technology. And these are methods that he plucked from various self-help programs, religious ideologies, and hypnosis techniques that came before Nexium. And according to a Rolling Stone article, quote, a former Nexium member in its early years says that after she left the group, she recognized many ESP techniques in the book stress management for dummies. So this is obviously not groundbreaking therapy, stealing it from a million different places. And despite all this, Nexium expanded throughout the entire United States. Keith continued to seduce followers and began recruiting new members from Mexico and Canada. And it was in Vancouver that a woman named Sarah Edmondson was introduced to Nexium. Sarah Edmondson is a central figure in this story and within Nexium for a number of reasons. But we're going to start with the fact that she and Josh, our first degree, grew up together. The first time I heard about Nexium was like these Vanity Fair articles and and occasionally stuff that would be passed among friends um, about this weird organization that we kind of knew Sarah was a part of but never really had a strong sense of what it was. It was like this lifestyle, self-helpy thing. Um, and, you know, it was very occasional that, like, that some article would pop up. Um, so I kind of knew of Nexium, but not really what it was. Uh, obviously not the full extent of what it was. Um, but, uh, you know, I, Sarah Edmondson, who was a, a childhood friend of mine who I went to daycare with, who I kind of had lost touch with over the years, I ran into her one summer um, and we were catching up and she was, <laughs> she literally was like, uh, Hey, I've, I've just left a cult. Um, and I, you know, and, and, uh, slowly started to explain what she meant. And it was interesting though. So, so Sarah had just left Nexium about a month earlier and had been inside that organization for 12 years. And the organization has this like rarefied language and they really like, it's a really a bubble. Once you're in it, you're inside it. And your friends and your whole life and your work is Nexium. So her ability at that stage, even to like fully explain to me what she was a part of and what it was, was limited. Like there was a lot of gobbledygook with a lot of language I didn't understand. She was still processing kind of what happened to her. And eventually, you know, at one stage she said women in the group are, have been branded uh, on their bodies. And then a couple of days later she said, you know, I told you that women had been branded, but actually I am one of those women. Um, and then, you know, that was like quite something to hear. And, and I started to appreciate the, just how kind of extreme the group might be. And, and at that moment, I mean, Nexium was like fully operational. 
uh, and, and, you know, there were courses running and it was vibrant and there was no indication. And Sarah very much knew this, like other people had tried to leave the group before and it didn't tend to go super well. Like either you left super quietly and you were allowed to leave or, or they come after you and they come after you in the courts. So it was a pretty, like, she was pretty wound up and freaked out. And I definitely was like, uh, something's going on here. Um, and I need to start recording it. So we started kind of recording our phone phone conversations um, pretty early on in that process. Fortunately, I was working at the CBC at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation at that time and had this story. I didn't quite know what to do with it yet, too. I didn't quite have the the full picture or the language. But fortunately, the podcast department had... um, had been in operation for a couple of years and we kind of marched over there and said, well, I had this story. Are you interested? And they said, yes. And, and that's how, uh, the thing, you know, started to, to get made. I mean, they, they sort of like backed us and allowed us to jump in with both feet. Sarah would thrive in Nexium, And eventually she was put in charge of running the Vancouver flagship location. And this location would become significant to Nexium for a number of reasons not only because of Sarah Edmondson's connection to the group, but it was also where Keith snagged his first celebrity member. And this aspect of celebrity is key in legitimizing groups like this. A good example, of course, is Scientology. Scientology rules at this. I mean, they have like Tom Cruise, Kirstie Alley, the guy who plays chef on South Park, Will Smith, right? Who else? John Travolta. John Travolta. John Travolta. There are a lot of others. Nexium was really stretching with their celebrity outreach. <laughs> they were, but you know what? Like, I will. I, I I think that Scientology. I've never seen a cult do better. Like that cult is thriving still, and they've got the best properties in Los Angeles. I have no idea how they did it. But they're they thriving did this really still well. when they're when their members are dwindling. They're somehow still thriving. Okay, so let's talk about one of Nexium's first and most prominent quote-unquote celebrity members. So back in 2006, Smallville was a show that was kind of a pop culture phenomenon. People still talk about it today. And one of this show's actresses was named Allison Mack. And she attended a two-day introduction to Nexium in Vancouver. So according to a Yahoo News article, quote, the program was billed as a woman's movement workshop within Nexium. And the then 23-year-old actress attended with thousands of other people from around the world. So Allison Mack was actually living in Vancouver, Canada, because that's where she filmed Smallville. And that's where the whole production took place. And she had attended the program with her co-star, Kristen Krug, who played the Lana Lang character on the show, by the way. So once Allison Mack was hooked, Keith instructed all members to roll out the red carpet for her. The hope being, of course, that she could attract more influential members, more members with notoriety. So after Smallville ended in 2011, Allison Mack struggled to find work and began to immerse herself even deeper in Nexium, hoping that the practices and the curriculum could help her sort of elevate her acting career. And meanwhile, slowly, she was withdrawing from her friends and family members, another common characteristic of kind of cult behavior. Okay, so back to Sarah Edmondson. She was key in recruiting a certain member that would make challenging or escaping Nexium nearly impossible. So according to Forbes, Sarah persuaded Claire Bronfman, who is the heiress to the Seagram's liquor fortune, to join Nexium. You know, the other like big win for them was obviously 
convincing these two Bronfman sisters, uh, Sarah and Claire Bronfman, to hand over or donate or invest hundreds of millions of dollars into the company, uh, into the organization, which which allowed it to really have clout and sway for what would otherwise be a pretty small little rinky-dinky operation in Albany, New York. Suddenly, they had a huge number, amount of resources um, at their disposal so that, and then that, you know, allowed them to fly people around on a private jet and kind of woo them. And, 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 and it, it, as kind of proof of the executive success and the, the, the achievements that they had, it also allowed them to hire many lawyers and go after their detractors in an aggressive and very expensive way. I mean, they squandered uh, a huge amount of money in the courts, you know, on frivolous cases really to, um, to scare off their, their critics. And Claire was so committed that she bought a house near Nexium's headquarters in Clifton Park, New York, and a horse farm up the road. Claire rose in the ranks to become Ranieri's right-hand woman and the most cutthroat defender. Allison Mack was then invited to fly via private jet to Albany to meet with Keith, who promised to help Allison take her acting career to the next level. But you saw the elements of what, you know, eventually he becomes known as Vanguard uh, in Nexium. And you saw those elements, but clearly he liked that adoration and that kind of connection. And, you know, it's interesting because we talked to people that knew him back in that day. And just that account of, um, you know, he's not obvious. When you see him and you hear him speak, he's not the kind of like bigger than life Tony Robbins figure that like, you know, swoops into a room. He's quite... uh, He's got he's like a short guy. He's not like crazy attractive. He's not particularly like charismatic on first when on first pass. But people talk about this ability that like when you are talking to him, he just totally locks into you and you feel like he understands you and he gets you and he is able to build this rapport and make this connections with people that again and again, we heard that account, but just, it just felt like you were the only person in the room when, when he was talking to you. Um, and I suppose that's not surprising like you, that, that, that someone who was able to build an organization like he did has that quality is able to, to be a leader in that way and able to connect with people in that way. And as Nexium's notoriety grew, smaller groups were also established under this Nexium umbrella. First, there was The Source, which is a workshop for actors that was led by Allison Mack. Then there was a group called The Delegates, which is kind of a tech startup staffed by younger female members. Then there was JNS, which is a female empowerment group. And JNS taught members that men inherently had more character and fortitude than women who were prone to flightiness and game playing. And to Keith, game-playing meant deceit and deception and manipulation. What's interesting, though, is that Keith publicly advocated for women to have leadership roles at Nexium. He admitted that the company would be better if there were women in power, but Keith clearly did not install women in high-ranking positions within Nexium because he thought they were smarter or stronger or better qualified. Right, and he did it because he believed that he could control them. After all, it's a lot easier to recruit new women members if a female recruit oversees the largely female executive board, because they would assume that the company must promote the interests of women themselves. However, the misogyny in Nexium's teachings was undeniable. And if you're wondering why this was tolerated and even appealed to the women in the group, a Rolling Stone article framed all this in a way that was pretty fascinating. It said, quote, 
some of the women in Nexium had come of age in an era of body positive dove ads and girl power messaging and had largely felt failed by its promises. And having sampled all the wellness industry's offerings and the path to enlightenment, the teas, the classes, the pastel hued self-help paperbacks, the meditation apps, the rose quartz vagina tightening sticks, many felt disillusioned and more spiritually depleted than before. And for many of these women, the goal wasn't so much towards enlightenment or even fulfillment so much as it was just feeling some semblance of okay. But the journey towards self-love proved so exhausting that the prospect of simply accepting their biological fate and ceding all of their power to men proved not just alluring, but irresistible. Right. And the quote continues, quote, the women all look somewhat familiar in the early thirties to mid forties, dark eyed, tastefully dressed above all else. They were slender, almost painfully so. Ranieri was obsessed with controlling women's weight to the degree that some of their fingers became stained with the color of carrots and squash they were exclusively instructed to eat for dinner. He was unabashed about weaponizing their insecurities about weight, telling one partner that the extra 10 pounds she'd gained, quote, hurts my heart physically, and then refusing to sleep with her until she shed them. I'd have to say, number one, I think something that pretty much every woman in the world struggles with is body image and weight. And I think that Keith knew exactly what he was doing by using weight and controlling weight as a weapon against these women and to like tear them down in the most the easiest and most destructive ways by trying to control what they're eating and what they look like. And then not sleeping with them as a punishment. Like that's textbook manipulation tactic. Right. And he's so the kind of dude, especially if he likes like the same type of woman, he likes dark hair, he likes brown eyes. He likes them all to be skinny. He wants to have like a bunch of fembots around him. Like that's what he's trying to curate an army of the same sort of looking women who believe the same and fawn on him. And it's just, uh, it's very, it's like the Austin, it's like Fenbots. Like that's what he wants. He wants them to be like by design, exactly how he wants them to be. He wants them to all look the same, tastefully dressed, all this stuff, preaching the same stuff he's taught them. It's very indicative of a, of a cult leader as we can tell. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. 
So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves Dot com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because... Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on the first degree. And when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV. And that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. So continuing on the subject of Nexium's offshoot groups, there was also an all-men's group called the Society of Protectors. In this group, a co-ed SOP module gave female members tiaras or princess wands for being too princessy. Then one woman wearing a low-cut top to a meeting was given a blue ribbon for showing off her, quote, udders. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very dehumanizing. So up until now, there's no doubt that Keith was a con man, a master manipulator, and someone who financially exploits individuals who sign up to be members of Nexium. But here's where the criminal and cruel acts facilitated by the group come to light for real. So at the height of Nexium, Keith had hundreds of followers who would hang on his every word and address him as quote unquote Vanguard. That was his name. He was sleeping with a band of women on rotation and kind of pinning them against each other too. But Keith and Allison Mack were working behind the scenes as well. And she was at his command, quietly cultivating a group of the most elite female Nexium members to join what she described essentially as a feminist group called quote unquote DOS, which was the most sinister of Nexium's offshoot groups. DOS stood for Dominus Obsequious Sororium, which means master over the slave woman. So DOS used fraud and extortion tactics to take advantage of the women in the group. And they did this to get money out of them, to make them perform physical labor, and to coerce them into having sex with Keith. And much of this involved handing over collateral, which included videos of themselves masturbating or quote-unquote confessions that had relatives sexually molesting them. And they were ordered to text their quote-unquote masters up-close photos of their unshaven genitals. Their face had to be in the photos, so their identities were made clear. And obvious what is happening. Yeah. And their diets were controlled. They had to remain skinny, like we were saying before. And they had to wake up in the middle of the night to perform military-type drills. They were also not allowed to engage in other sexual relationships other than the ones that they were having with Keith. So this is all typical textbook behavior that we've seen over and over again. In terms of DOS, uh, they're you're you've given over a collateral to be part of the group and the collateral had to be you know would have to destroy your life if it was released so it's very damaging nude photos videos um con- false confessions or real confessions about loved ones about crimes you might have committed or haven't committed but are confessing to them um and you have to re-up on these like you know your collateral would every month you have to continue to like put more collateral in the bank and with that over their head you know there's one woman who testified that she was instructed by her master within that system that she had to go seduce keith uh and she feared if she did not comply with that 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 her collateral would be released you know another focus of of the uh, of the charges against keith were to do with uh a woman who was essentially banished her confined to a room uh for over a year because she had like breached the moral code um of she she was basically had a crush on someone she shouldn't have a crush on she's she was supposed to be devoted to keith but she kind of admitted to having a crush on someone else and she was stuck in this room and and wasn't allowed to leave and they held on to her she was from mexico and held on to her papers i mean she wasn't even like actually able to leave the country the confinement had multiple layers to it and and her unfortunately her parents were consenting to this punishment as well um but she you know stubbornly just sat there for for yeah over a year and if you think we're done telling you all the shitty things about dos we're not they were forced to buy sex toys for use in a dungeon that was slated to be built in a future dos headquarters and according to court documents this dungeon would include cages vibrating rubber paddles and puppy plugs perfect for puppy play or naughty slaves end quote also according to court documents quote the women keith slept with were told that women who swallowed his semen sometimes saw an ethereal blue light 
and that those who refused to participate in a group oral sex session weren't, quote, committed to their personal growth. And Keith set all of this up as a means for much more than sex with multiple women whenever he wanted. He had such control over them that if one of his girlfriends was unhappy, or one of them broke the rules, other members of the inner circle were tasked with bringing them back into the fold, and they were also tasked with punishing them. And one of the most controversial things that happened within DOS was branding. Not all of them were branded, but those who were later talked about how excruciatingly painful it was, how you could hear the cauterizing pen sizzle against raw skin. The brand itself was a carefully crafted design that merged Keith and Allison Mack's initials. But the women receiving this permanent mark had no idea that they were getting the initials of two cult leaders seared onto them forever. They just thought it was a design. And like I said, not all members of DOS were branded, but Sarah Edmondson was. So here's how the branding ritual played out. The women were supposed to be naked. They were meant to be taped, videotaped, I mean. They were held down on a table with their arms above their wrists and they were bound. They were ordered to say the following, quote, please brand me. It would be an honor, an honor I want to wear for the rest of my life. And according to court documents, when Keith was coming up with the plans for this ritual, he said to Allison Mack, I mean, they were in a brainstorming session. Oh, actually, they should probably say that before they're held down. So it doesn't seem like they were being coerced into this. This is how this man thinks. So... The procedure itself was supposed to be seven sears with a soldering iron, one line across and two diagonal lines down form the sideways K, then four smaller lines to form the sideways R beneath the little spoon to the big spoon of the K. So Allison Mack, who herself had been branded, told the women after the branding was complete that, quote, pain is how we know how much we love. We know the depth of our love through pain. When they feel pain, they think of that love. Okay, so another extremely messed up thing about DOS is the women had no idea that Keith was connected to it at all. They had no idea that the group was completely under Keith's control, and they believed it was solely Allison's group, that it was this women's empowerment group. And they were told by Allison Mack and others inside the circle that the group was a badass feminist group that was meant to help women build discipline and overcome their intimacy issues. And one of Doss's members was an actress named Nikki Klein, and she appeared in Battlestar Galactica. And then there was Rosa Laura Junko, who was the heiress to a Mexican publishing fortune. And Rosa was so devoted to Keith that she offered him her teenage daughter, Loris, as his Doss servant and virgin successor. So in Doss really does epitomize the hubris and gluttony of Keith Ranieri and Nancy Saltzman. Part of the pattern that we saw when you when we started to look at the roughly 15 years, I believe that it was an operation, is this increasing uh, need or desire to control the, the people in the organization and around him. So a lot like most of the FBI's investigation really focused on the final year or two of Nexium, when they created this secret women's group called DOS, where they were branding women, where Keith had you know, created this kind of bizarre um, pyramid scheme based on blackmail. Uh, and that, you know, it, 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 when you look, look at it, you're, it looks inevitable that the thing is going to crumble. I mean, it required 
the devotion of everyone within that system to stay loyal to it the whole time and to start, you know, that they were blackmailing women to have sex with him. They were coercing women to be branded on their body. So it seems like that was not part of early Nexium. Um, you know, that kind of level of control, even though there were other things that were going on and very cult-like things that were going on. And the group is certainly in terms of the psychology of it. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, I'm speculating here, but it seems like his desire to control the people around him, maybe the fear that they were going to leave. You know, one one expert says that that's not an uncommon thing. It's kind of this like diminishing returns for people that, that, that need that kind of control of people that you have to keep ramping it up. So there was a kind of inevitability that it was going to crumble. So it's no surprise that DOS would ultimately be Nexium's undoing and Keith Raniere's undoing. It started with internal criticism of the group from outspoken members. Keith solved these initial problems rather easily. He had the sisters Claire and Sarah Bronfman bankroll the group's lawsuits against detractors and critics. Now you have to realize that these weren't legitimate lawsuits. But all you need to do to make a case go forward is provide enough evidence to allow a case to go to trial, which wasn't impossible. So the Bronfen-funded lawsuits were intended to, and they ultimately did, completely decimate Nexium critics. Because financially, how do you fight against the billionaire Bronfmans who can just file frivolous lawsuits against you to their heart's content? And this was a big strategy of theirs. And although the Bronfman sisters managed to help Keith Raniere fend off the preliminary defectors, slowly more and more members of Nexium started to turn on Keith. It wasn't until 2017 that any real progress was made in exposing Nexium and taking legal recourse against Keith and the group's inner circle. As the organization started, you know, things basically started to unravel when Sarah appeared on the front page of the New York Times, you know, pulling down the flap of her jeans to show um, the brand on her body. And that on the heels of that in fact the fbi said it was because of that article that they launched an investigation and of course you know so they started investigating you know lots of other media starting to pay attention and at that point it really changed for us we realized that it wasn't going to be the case of this like one media company doing an investigation into an organization that was that was an operation now they were like on the defensive keith and a bunch of the other um members like moved to Mexico for a while. Things started to unravel when Sarah Edmondson worked up the strength to speak publicly about what she'd been through, which culminated in a New York Times article titled Inside a Secretive Group Where Women Are Branded. And this was written by Barry Meyer. Running parallel to the release of this article was the creation of the Escaping Nexium podcast, which our first degree Josh and Sarah teamed up on. In addition to Sarah coming forward, several former members had asked state authorities to investigate the group's practices. But until Sarah went public, officials declined to pursue any real action. Keith and Allison Mack ordered their followers to delete encrypted messages between them and erase Google documents. And to those considering breaking away, it was not clear whom they could trust and who were Nexium loyalists. And while there is nothing good to be said about DOS, this group where unspeakable things happened to these women. What happened in that group ultimately, finally led to a teeny tiny silver lining. It was the only group where they were actually able to um, facilitate 
charges, like real charges against Keith. It's how they got law enforcement to pay attention. So in a 2018 federal complaint that was issued, it was stated the following. Ranieri, known as, quote, the Vanguard, took part in forming a secretive group within Nexium, in which women said they were coerced into joining a slave master club and later branded with a design that included the initials of Ranieri and Allison Mack. An arrest warrant was issued, but Keith was in hiding in Mexico by this time. Luckily, Mexican officials helped U.S. authorities track him down to a luxury $10,000 a week villa near Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, where he was staying with several of his female followers. Finally, Keith Rainier was under arrest. And according to the New York Times, the defendant was uncooperative when immigration authorities arrived. And after he was taken into custody, the women who he was with at this villa chased the car he was taken away in. And they followed it in their own car at high speed. They did a high speed chase behind Keith Raniere. That's how obsessed with him they were. To stay close to him. Keith and the organization faced multiple accusations of systemic sexual abuse of female members by Raniere and members of his inner circle, leading to the arrest of Keith and other top Nexium members. The charges included sex trafficking, racketeering, and racketeering conspiracy. Ranieri was accused, among other things, of using Nexium as a recruitment network for DAS, which prosecutors referred to as a secret, quote, sex cult within Nexium. Uh, there's a lots of like sort of money related stuff in terms of fraud and, you know, uh, tax evasion stuff and, uh, you know, stuff that they were up to in that side and some um there's a whole bunch of stuff that was around uh falsifying documents and getting people into the country illegally um there have been claims and allegations made about keith going way back previous to um nexium and certainly continue into nexium about his relationship with underage girls um that's very disturbing and you know he spent a lot of time in addition to like his sermons or speeches or whatever you want to call them about um, how men are inherently, you know, or women are inherently inferior to men. He also talked a lot about how uh, the age of consent and, uh, and having sex with minors is a kind of social construct and, and something that is actually just like imposed on us. And he seemed to really sanction this idea of uh, pedophilia. During the six-week trial, which exposed the inner workings of Keith's twisted organization, the bulk of the testimony against Keith focused on the horrific, cruel, and illegal treatment of the women in DOS. And according to the New York Times, quote, the trial was conducted under the sort of security that is usually associated with terrorists and drug lords. The jurors, whose names were withheld, were brought to and from court in vans driven by United States Marshals. Many of the witnesses were identified only by their first name. Towards the end of the process, I mean, we end up uh, going to his trial um, in, or it was initial hearing uh, in Brooklyn. Um, and for, by that point, I had spent months and months, you know, thinking about him and hearing about him and talking to people that knew him and, and people, and, you know, he was just such a presence in my life <laughs> for so long uh, and really built up as, as this figure. So part of seeing him for the first time, it was strange. I mean, partly it was, it was that quality of like, oh, like that's it? That's that's the person that we're talking about? Like this, this kind of scraggly haired 
kind of goofy looking guy um, with these you know big glasses that uh, he just didn't seem particularly impressive uh, and and just very human in a lot of ways. And I think that's you know that's what can happen is they sort of build a figure like that up in your mind. Um, and so part of it was that another part of it that really struck me was that when we started the investigation, as I said, like this organization was in full operation. He was living a great life and, uh, you know, had access to his private jet and to his many female sexual partners and to lots of money. Um, and here we were just, you know, not even six months later and the whole thing had crumbled and fallen apart and he's wearing a, a, a prison jumpsuit uh, and is being, is testifying in court. Um, so it was, it, it, it was quite, you know, it really struck me sitting in the courtroom uh, that the way that this thing kind of unraveled right under our feet. There was tons of incriminating evidence that was presented at trial. There was evidence that members of Nexium at Keith's command, quote, hacked into computer accounts and paid private investigators in an effort to obtain personal information on perceived enemies, including Senator Chuck Schumer. So these people are seriously diabolical. Listen, I know he got a two point whatever GPA. I know he's not the sharpest tool in the two shed. Cents. He's sharp enough because this is some crazy shit. I mean, he's sharp enough to it. And, you know, you know, celebrities don't matter against billionaires worse, which no. is what the Brofmans were. And recruiting them changed everything for Keith. You know what I mean? Because it's like they could pay hackers to do whatever they wanted. Like they could fight any legal battle. Well, you also you also don't need to be uh, textbook smart to be like a manipulative sociopath. No. I mean, look at what Manson was. Manson certainly wasn't textbook smart. And Ted Bundy. But... Yeah. Hmm. Right. Right. Well, in this case, the evidence against Keith and the organization included seized documents, emails, audio recordings, and testimony from more than a dozen people, many who were former sex captives of Keith Ranieri. And after closing arguments, the jury was sent out for deliberation, which only lasted pretty much a half a day. And for a six-week trial, that's not that long to deliberate. So when they returned, it was announced that the now 59-year-old washed-up, self-help, guru, sad hippie man Keith Ranieri was found guilty of racketeering, sex trafficking, conspiracy, forced labor, identity theft, sexual exploitation, of a child in possession of child pornography. Allison Mack, Claire Bronfman, and three other women and top members of Nexium pleaded guilty to a slew of charges prior to the commencement of Keith's trial. So I know you're probably wondering how much time a cult leader gets for shenanigans like this, but his sentencing is scheduled for the 23rd of this month in 2020. So a few weeks from now... Pending the implications from COVID, because this is New York, so it'll it'll really depend on um, whether or not they are backlogged. And because this happened before COVID, the, the the information we received, you know, so who knows if this will actually happen? But he's slated to be sentenced ASAP, pending room in court. Hope he burns in hell. At the center of the story and the thing that drew me into it was like, wait a second, how does this person who you know grew up in the same community as me and at the same level of education and um, same degree of security, I think, you know, how does she end up signing up for a personal growth workshop one day and then, you know, 12 years later is being 
branded on her body with this guy's initials and and what's going on there and not obviously just her but they're uh you know uh, many of the people who end up in this organization are not obviously people that you think would get sucked into these kind of things i mean i, I do i don't think everyone would be sucked into nexium like i think nexium was really good at weeding out who you know that's the whole point of having those workshops and and kind of sussing out like who are our prime candidates but I do think that there is some kind of version of a coercive organization that could, at the right point in someone's life, um, could pull you in. I don't think anyone's immune to that. I do think it plays into like a, a universal human fallibility. And also just this notion like that there's some hidden secret to what can make us happy and what can make us achieve the things we want to achieve. But like somehow like in the year 2020, it's like, Oh no, no, we've got it. And like, it's crazy because no one's figured it out. But like, this is the, you know, that, that really narrow minded notion of like, no one else gets it. And this is the answer and, or, or this like adoration of a particular figure that can deliver to you. It just is like, uh, I feel like how many more times do we have to learn the lesson that that's not a great, path to be going down. Nobody joins a cult thinking they're joining a cult. Nobody. The thing is about cults and what's so smart about their leaders generally is they know how to appeal to the hierarchy of human needs, everything that human beings need to feel safe, accepted, loved. And they learn how to tap into that. And they also learn how to target people who are lacking one or many of those. We talk about in the podcast, this, my poli sci friend talk you know in poli science uh, political science they talk, they call it ontological security like there's a huge amount of security to, to know the world is ordered and that there's reasons that thing ha- things happen you know your place in the world and it's just like it's easier to walk through life that way but then there's consequences of of seeing the world through that lens um but the fact that here's my segue the fact that <laughs> there's so many um, iterations of it is, is sort of evidence of how susceptible we, we all are because we see these cycles of these organizations coming and going and being scandalized and shutting down and then other versions of them popping up because uh, just because of how attractive um, the idea is to be to be told that you have answers and, and that there's a simple solution, which is how I ended up in some ways, uh, being drawn into this, this new story, this new podcast that I'm doing with NBC. Um, it's called The Lost Kids. And it's a story that they had. I mean, I think they approached me with it because of Nexium, And, and uh, there is a cultic link, although this one is surprising uh, because it's the, the cultic element to it is uh, for many people was quite hidden. So this, this new series is actually about something called the troubled teen industry, which is this billion dollar industry that uh, is promises to be able to fix, you know, wayward teens who are suffering from anything from depression to, you know, school avoidance behavior they call it uh to add to you know just being a rebel um and it my I, you know i didn't realize i kind of knew about it but my like first uh understanding of it came through talk shows in like the 80s and 90s where you'd have you know that classic story they did it again and again where they have you know so and so is like uh druggy and swears at her mom and they bring her out on stage and then they send her off to some boot camp 
uh, and run her through a bunch of drills and have sergeants screaming in her face. And then, you know, sure enough, three months later, she comes back and she's totally reformed and changed. And that program, those kind of boot camp programs are one version of this whole ecosystem of wilderness programs and boot camps and these residential uh, facilities, these things they call therapeutic boarding schools um, that promise to take your kid and use tough love to fix them. Um, and in any event, so it, 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 uh, the cultic connection is that it turns out the whole philosophical foundation for these programs links back to this, um, what started as a drug addiction program in the 1950s in California called Synanon that ended up becoming what some experts call America's most dangerous cult. I mean, they were putting, you know, they were going after, trying to kill detractors if they're a rattlesnake uh, in the mailbox of one of the lawyers that was going after them. Um, they, you know, they were full full-on cult. Um, but they collapsed and, and fell apart in the 90s, but their philosophy lived on, and a lot of the followers went off um, and started other programs, especially working with troubled teens. And there's some really interesting work that like links back all these connections, how kind of all roads uh, lead back to Synanon. Now, while, uh, when you send your kid to a program like this, of course, you're, that's not the pitch you're getting. Um, it's not... Uh, overt, you know, not only the link to and on often, um, but also the kind of therapy that they were, uh, the so-called therapy, I suppose, that they were using in these, in these programs. Um, so the specific story that we're looking at is this 16 year old kid from New Jersey who was from a loving middle-class family. He was, you know, did decently enough in school and he, in his teens, what happened to him happened to a lot of kids. He started to suffer from mental health issues and um, dropped out of school. He could, he well, he was depressed. He couldn't get out of bed. He his parents took him to a psychiatrist and psychologist, and they all kind of said he has adolescent depression. And he wasn't getting better. And his parents were quite desperate. They they could see the school year was flying by, and he he was failing out of it. And in a moment of desperation, the dad googles like programs for for struggling teens and up pops this website for a program called Sea-Doo Running Springs um, up in the, in the mountains of California. And it looked beautiful. There's beautiful pictures of the landscape and kids smiling. And, and it was just, you know, it also looked very different from the world they lived in in New Jersey. And this kid, Daniel, uh, even agreed that he would go out and try it. It was a two-year program um, and they promised they could help. Uh, and he only lasted for 10 days at the program before running away and he's never been found again. And that was sort of the starting point of our investigation to say, well, you know, what's going on here? What, what was this program he got sent to? And uh, it turns out that hundreds of kids run away from this place because what they're doing inside there is this crazy form of attack therapy that essentially pits. Uh, I mean, some people describe it as like a, a kind of Lord of the flies almost like where they pit, residents against each other um, in these epic three-hour group therapy sessions where a whole group will essentially attack someone on a hot seat, um, telling them how worthless they are, what a, you know, that they're a slut, that their parents don't love them, that they, you know, just ripping them apart until that person has a kind of cathartic emotional breakdown, screaming into the floor, like snot and uh, tears coming out of their uh, eyes. And, uh, and that, that's it. That's the therapy. That's the extent of it. And then you go on to the next person and you 
some, you know, you are attacked in this process, but you also are made to be an active participant in it. Um, there's no sitting on the sidelines or, you know, or you face all kinds of punishment. So this is, you know, that's the, that's the therapeutic foundation of, of the work they do. Uh, and so it's not surprising that, that kids very quickly, uh, get the hell out of there like really fast. And it's up in this, up in the mountains of San Bernardino. So it's not the safest place to, to flee. Um, so really, we're, you know, our, our, our investigation starts with Daniel Ewan and his story, but, but we start to peel back the layers of like, well, how is it that this kid from New Jersey starts suffering depression, gets flown across the world to a program running this very controversial form of therapy that's actually been in operation for you know almost four decades uh, and starting to kind of unpack the layers of like what this place is and 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 its position within this whole billion dollar industry. I think it's fascinating that Josh is looking at other abuses of power um, because obviously cults aren't always packaged like cults. You know, Keith Raniere, Nexium, once you dig in, very obviously a cult, but there's something very culty about this industry, not only of what behavioral therapy and like, you know, kids, boot camps who are bad kids, things like that, but also uh, rehab. You know, these are unregulated. And this has been a very fascinating subject for me for a really long time. So lucky for everybody listening, The Lost Kids is already out. They all came out on June 3rd and it is now June 10th. So you can go binge them right now. Thank you so much, Josh Block, for coming on The First Degree. We enjoyed you so, so much. We loved Escaping Nexium. You're an incredible podcast maker, incredible storyteller, and it was a delight to have you shed some additional light on this fascinating and uh, terrifying cult. And if any of you out there listening are wondering right now whether or not you're in a cult, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Stephen Colbert. Quote, here's an easy way to figure out if you're in a cult. If you're wondering whether you're in a cult, the answer is yes. so much josh for being our first degree connection for this episode if anybody out there would like to tell their story please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com please follow us on instagram at the first degree at alexis linkletter at billy jensen at jack vanick join our facebook group by searching the first degree and come chat with us about true crime and no killing time for this week but we'll be back up and running next week and remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close I have a good ballpoint pen in my purse. I want it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.